Hello, this is Kristen Godsey with the AK-47 podcast. That's 47 selections of the works of Alexandra Kollontai. I'm a professor of Russian and East European studies at the University of Pennsylvania and the author of Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism and Other Arguments for Economic Independence. Today, I'm going to be reading a essay that Alexandra Kolontai wrote about the United States. It's called The Statue of Liberty, and it was published sometime at the end of 1916. Alexandra Kolontai is a really interesting story because, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, she was an aristocrat, and so she was raised in relative luxury, certainly compared to other Russians at the time. Uh, this is in the, She was born in 1872, so we're talking about the late 19th century. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about Alexandra Kolontai is that she was an incredible polyglot and actually spoke English very well, partially because she had an English governess when she was a child, and she also had special tutors who taught her both French and German at a very young age. So before she reached the age of 13 or 14, she was fluent in not only Russian and Finnish, but English, German, and French, and she went on to learn many other languages. So when Alexandra Kolontai is forced into exile in 1908 because she's being pursued by the Tsarist police, she ends up living in Western Europe. She travels quite extensively, and she becomes very well known as a speaker, as an orator, and as a writer of articles. After the outbreak of World War I, she receives an invitation from the German wing of the American Socialist Party. This is the left, far left wing of the American Socialist Party in 1915 to come and deliver a series of anti-war lectures across the United States. So she arrives in the United States in October 1915, and she stays until the end of February 1916. And during this time, she visits over 80 cities and townships, and she delivers something like 125 speeches in four different languages to crowds across the United States. She's really well-received, and there are really interesting newspaper reports that you can read about her lectures. Obviously, she was very opposed to the war. Uh, She took a very pacifist position. She returned to the United States again in September 1916 and stayed until January 1917. During that second trip, she was basically visiting her son, who was living in Patterson, New Jersey at the time. And she witnessed several strikes and actually began to understand a little bit about labor struggles and the situation in the United States. So this piece that I'm going to read today called The Statue of Liberty is actually a really fascinating piece because it's Alexandra Kolontai. I think it's actually written on the boat. And she's reflecting on the United States and the promise of the United States and the stories that she heard growing up as a girl about the promised land of the United States and how her experience of the injustice in the United States and the you know brutal rule of capital in the United States contradicts what many Europeans feel or think or believe to be the promise of the United States. And of course, it's worth remembering that this essay was written in 19... 19- 16. And even though it was written over 100 years ago, I think it is really interesting and appropriate today. So I'm going to read you the Statue of Liberty from the end of 1916 by Alexandra Kollontai. Which of us in our childhood did not gaze in awe at the mighty Statue of Liberty, its burning torch lighting the entrance to an international port, to a new world that still retained all its alluring fairy tale strangeness for the European? 
Which of us in our childhood was not struck by its grandeur as it soared above the New York skyscraper skyline? How pitifully small and insignificant did the huge ocean-going ships appear in those pictures as they scurried at the feet of the proud and victorious freedom? As our Norwegian steamer Bergensfjord slowly and carefully picked its way among the business-like scurry of ships from all the great nations of the world, we naive Europeans eagerly strained our eyes to catch a glimpse of her, the Statue of Liberty promised us from childhood. Then, on my first visit to America a year ago, the Statue of Liberty was hidden by a thick autumn fog which shrouded from our naively searching eyes that symbol which once caused the hearts of our European fathers and grandfathers to beat with triumphant happiness and exaltation. For me, the Statue of Liberty remained shrouded, mysterious, beckoning, the powerful image of our imagination— I saw it for the first time four and a half months later, after my whirlwind tour of the United States. By then, America had already ceased to be for me the promised land of possibility. During those four and a half months, I had seen politicians insistently preaching in favor of militarism and the bitter struggle waged by labor against unrestrained American capital— the power wielded by the American police and the omnipotence of the trust kings, the corruption of the American courts, the servility of the American capitalist press, and the freedom of the independent church. Now I had a clear picture of what America is really like, a clear picture of the land of freedom, of the new world discovered by Columbus and still enticing the European. It was then, standing on board the steamer bearing me back to the old world, that I first saw the Statue of Liberty. It was a clear, cold day in early spring. Slowly, as if unwilling to leave the safety of the port for the stormy unknown of the open sea, the same Bergensfjord sailed past the eighth wonder of the world, past the statue whose picture is known to all. Now, it was not hidden by fog. Now the sun illuminated every line of this bronze image. And still, I refused to believe my eyes. Is that the Statue of Liberty? So tiny, lost in the noise of the harbor and framed against the soaring skyscrapers of the Wall Street banks. Was this powerless, tiny figure shrinking before the all-powerful, gigantic skyscrapers, those guardians of financial deals, the Statue of Liberty we had pictured to ourselves? Perhaps it is the insolence of the politicians and the kings of capital, curtailing day by day the freedoms won by the blood of the forefathers of the modern Uncle Sam, that is forcing the Statue of Liberty to shrink, to curl up in dismay and shame. When you are at the mercy of the ocean, when you look ahead to fantastic adventures that seem to come straight from a medieval tale, then you are inevitably inclined to the mystic, ready to believe in a great miracle in fairy tales. The outlines of the city, the huge, twisting, relentlessly upward-thrusting lines of the New York skyscrapers, begin to blur. The Statue of Liberty has long since become a scarcely visible dot. It has disappeared. A little while longer and America will lose reality for us and become one of those images of the succession of life's memories. It was then that I realized that the new world, the Statue of Liberty, is simply an old and forgotten legend, a fairy tale of pre-capitalist times, which can only be recounted from the reminiscences of our grandfathers. 
For our grandfathers and great-grandfathers, the New World was truly a land of freedom. Here, whatever they had been in aging Europe, they felt themselves to be the sons and equal citizens of a free country. Here, they could pray to their God according to their own beloved rights. Here, they could still believe that a man could forge his own happiness, wealth, and destiny with his own hands. Here, the fairy of success still freely beckoned to unsettled lands and fruitful plains, to barren mountains, concealing gold. Back in old Europe, feudalism had still not receded before the onslaught of the privileged trading aristocracy of the bourgeoisie, and the air was still redolent with incense. Society was still dominated by the inequality of social strata and classes, and men were still oppressed by ugly age-old prejudices. Is it any wonder that our grandfathers and great-grandfathers stretched out their hands rapturously to the shores of the New World and fell down before the green bronze Statue of Liberty? But how distant that all is now. The tales of American freedom have become mere legend. The Statue of Liberty has been suppressed. The skyscrapers have robbed her of her halo, and now it is no longer she who soars above the bay of this international city, no longer she who lights the way into the international port, into the new world. Millions of lights from the windows of the 50-story skyscraper office blocks eclipse the light of the goddess of liberty. The gray giants look out derisively over the narrow New York streets, which, jammed with businessmen and their clerks, thread their way far below like canyon streams between cliff walls. And it is these solid walls of stone, the safe refuge of the kings of American capital, which now more completely express the spirit that reigns over the continent of Columbus than the pitiful, shrunken green statue that seems to be embarrassed. I saw the statue a second time only recently, and this time lit up by the rays of the early morning sun. And, strange to relate, this time the passengers did not gaze out in search of the Statue of Liberty. It was as if the hard and bloody year that had just passed had taught its lessons to Europeans, who had once so easily believed in a happiness to be found across the ocean." It was not the Statue of Liberty they were looking for, but the steamer carrying the American authorities and representatives of the Immigration Bureau, who sorted out the passengers and dispatched the majority of the third class, and perhaps also some of us, the second class passengers, to the infamous Island of Tears. And indeed, the steamer did pull up alongside our floating home. The long procession of third-class passengers must undergo a humiliating interrogation and a number of unpleasant formalities, and must then wait upon a barren island until kind friends come to their assistance. It might even happen that third-class, and sometimes even second-class passengers, are unceremoniously taken off to an American jail until their identity is confirmed. However, God forbid that anything of the kind should happen to first-class passengers. Could a first-class passenger, carrying in his pocket checks for a Wall Street bank, be an unwelcome foreigner in the Great Republic? The red carpet is put down for the first-class passenger, and for him the Statue of Liberty makes her dim torch blaze anew. This colleague of the modern kings of the free republic will receive everything that the Statue of Liberty once promised to every newcomer to the New World. 
But how dimly that same statue lights the way to the new world for those who were only able to buy a third-class ticket. And one feels ashamed for the Statue of Liberty and regrets those sweet moments of expectation a year ago when we, naive Europeans, strained our eyes to see in the autumn mist that statue we remembered from children's illustrations which taught us to love the new world, to love a land built by the people themselves, to love political liberty. So I have to say that this essay is just an amazing piece of writing, and it really shows Kolontai's talent. You know, she was always much better at writing nonfiction or writing politically than she was at fiction. I'm going to read some of her fiction later on in this podcast, but it never really rises to the inspiration that she gets when she's writing essentially pamphlets or articles for newspapers. I mean, some of the amazing images here, the gray giants of the skyscrapers that look out derisively over the narrow New York streets, which jammed with businessmen and their clerks thread their way far below like canyon streams between cliff walls. That's just gorgeous imagery. But I also think what's really important when we're reading this essay, again, a hundred years later, is here's Alexandra Kollontai talking about immigration to the United States and talking about the hypocrisy of the United States, this land of freedom, this idealized promised land that so many Europeans thought would give them freedom and give them opportunities and allow them to be successful, closing its doors to the third class passengers and even some of the second class passengers, but opening its doors really widely to the first class passengers. And the idea that the Statue of Liberty is shrunken and embarrassed by these huge huge skyscrapers of the Wall Street banks. It's as if, you know, in 1916, Alexandra Kollontai is basically telling us that in the United States, democracy and freedom play second fiddle to capital. The bankers and Wall Street call the shots in the United States. And she talks about the corruption of the courts and the brutality of American police and the cruelty of the kings of capital, she calls them, and the trusts or the monopolies. And the way that they have undermined the American dream for so many people. I think, you know, she's really disappointed by the militarism that she sees in the United States in 1915-1916. And she's also really sort of shocked by the labor unrest and the inequality and the poverty and the complete contradiction of the America that she experienced in 1915-1916 and the America that she dreamed about as a girl, as a child. I think she understood very well that the United States was not going to be an ally of Russia or of any country that was going to have any form of socialist revolution. Clearly, the idea that she comes away with is that America is the land of capital. It is the land of injustice and that the Statue of Liberty, this symbol of freedom, this symbol of liberty is like shrunken down to meaninglessness in the face of the financial power of these huge Wall Street banks as represented by these skyscrapers. So I really, as I said earlier, love this essay, and I think that it really captures not only the beauty of her voice and uh, her ability to write, to express ideas in a really passionate way, 
But it also shows you that she was really critically thinking about what was happening in the world and who were likely to be the allies of the socialist cause in in the future. And despite the fact that she was invited by the American Socialist Party and that, you know, she was exposed to many sort of left-wing people in the United States and she made contacts with lots of different activists on the left, she ultimately understood that the United States would not be a friend to the greater socialist cause. This is Kristen Gansi with the AK-47 podcast, 47 selections from the works of Alexander Kollontai. Thanks so much for listening and keep up the good fight.